DiscerningHearts.com. In cooperation with the Institute for Priestly Formation, presents The Heart of Hope, Suffering and the Cross of Christ, with Deacon James Keating. Deacon Keating is the Director of Theological Formation at the Institute for Priestly Formation, located at Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska. Deacon Keating has led more than 400 workshops on moral theology and spirituality, and has authored numerous books, including The Way of Mystery, Listening for Truth, and Spiritual Fatherhood. The Heart of Hope, Suffering and the Cross of Christ, with Deacon James Keating. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We've been discussing the heart of hope. And again, it's in the context of suffering. And I'll share with you an incident in my own life, a different type of suffering that occurred. And it happens in the hearts of many, many families around the world now. Our only son diagnosed with autism. And in those early years struggling to first identify how we can help him, struggling with dealing with all the ramifications, not even addressing how can this happen, why would God allow this to occur. He's a complete innocent. We were faithful. Why would he allow this? When he was in kindergarten, I was approached by his principal of the school that he was attending and asked, Mrs. McGregor, do you see a light at the end of this tunnel? Because Michael had been acting out in the classroom. And it so took me aback, this question, do I see a light at the end of this tunnel? What, concerning my son, that somehow he'll break through this autism, that someday he will be able to drive a car and have a girlfriend and go to school and college and become a doctor or something like that? No, I'm not even sure how tomorrow is going to be. I don't see a light at the end of this tunnel. I don't even know why I'm in the tunnel, why he's in the tunnel. And I think at that moment, when I had that question posed to me, I felt there was no hope. Why does this occur? Why does God have us in that tunnel? Well, I think the key areas of pain there are, I was faithful and he is innocent. I was faithful and he was innocent. When suffering befalls us, we so associate suffering with punishment that we immediately multiply our suffering by becoming conscious of those two realities. I was good. I was a faithful Catholic. I said my prayers. I obeyed the moral law. Why did this happen to me? Why am I being punished when I was good? And secondly, with the innocent, like the children of the world who suffer. It's just a child, baby, a little boy. Why? Why do innocent people suffer? Why do faithful people suffer? And this will always be a question, and we should never deny this question from coming to our consciousness in the midst of suffering, because it's the key 
to the meaning of Christ and our relationship. Because once you say, why am I suffering? I'm a good person. Why is he or she suffering? They are innocent. The moment you say that, behold, the Lamb of God. You are brought right to Christ. Behold, the wood of the cross. You immediately, and your situation, is immediately ushered into the holy. Now, of course, we can take it the other way. And it can be an act which raises in within us furor, anger, injustice, the desire to curse God and die. But steady, through all those years of receiving the Eucharist, be steady. You have been receiving this mystery since the second grade. Did you know that? You've been receiving the mystery of I am a good person and I am innocent and yet I suffer since the second grade. He has been preparing you that when suffering befalls you, it will not be an occasion for losing communion with him, but it will be the opportunity for deepening it with him. For when we speak the words, I am innocent, and what did I do wrong? We are brought into the closest identification that we can have with the mystery of Jesus' self-offering on the cross. And now he says to us, will you also offer yourself for the love and for the sake of many? And here we are at the very core of redemptive suffering where we join our suffering to Jesus for the sake of the stranger and most profoundly for the sake of the enemy. Cosmically, this is not about your son in faith. This is Christ and all of his mysteries being lived over again in your son, in you. This innocence, this faithfulness, he's not doing it to you, this suffering. He's living it with you. And that's the hope. And deeper and deeper our catechesis must go. Deeper and deeper our evangelization must go to this very point of mystery. So that when suffering befalls us, we can know him in the very innocent suffering that we are undergoing. The question then becomes why? Why a God who so loves us that he'll enter into suffering, why does he even allow it? Why does it have to happen? Whether it's a birth of a child in which the world would consider disabled or being relegated to the isolation loneliness of a nursing home or having to endure a, a disease or an accident that cripples us. If God so loves us and can do all things, why does it have to happen? 
Well, that question, of course, is, is a valid question. No one's really ever been able to answer it except through what we've mentioned in other conversations, the theological meaning of original sin, the fallenness of the world, um, limitation, human limitation, human finitude, that this is, in fact, not heaven. Uh, all directions of answers like that. Uh, but what's more important when you, answer, when you ask the question, why, why does this innocent suffering have to happen, is not what you would call the philosophical answer to that question. The better answer to that question to meditate on is why, why did this have to happen? So that Jesus could share it with us. For whatever reason the world is constructed the way it is with innocent suffering abounding, the answer to the question is that Jesus wanted to enter all of that suffering. Jesus does enter all of that suffering. And so his cry upon the cross, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Broke open the heart of the Father and led to the resurrection. And we have to join our cry with the cry of Jesus, which will deepen our communion with him apace. It will deepen it to depths that we cannot even imagine. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? That's my cry. That's your cry. It's the cry of your children. It's the cry of all innocent victims. The beauty of the fallen world is that it gave us an opportunity to show, to for God to show, the love of his that we think is missing. In our meditations on the fallen world, on innocent suffering, we always accuse God of something. But God did a jujitsu move, so to speak, and he said, no, this is going to reflect the glory of my nature. That which you think bespeaks my absence, innocent suffering, is actually the occasion for me to come closer to you than you can ever imagine. For I'm going to take on flesh and bone, and in my divine nature, coupled in deepest communion with your human nature. I'm going to teach you what love is at the very point at which you think I'm absent. Innocent suffering. At the very point at which you think I abandoned you becomes the very point at which you will know me beyond your wildest dreams. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I have not. I have come for you. And the wounds of your innocent suffering are the doorways through which I reach you. I have come for you. In the suffering, I have not left you. The Father wants you with me forever. And you will be raised with me as long as you receive my coming into the wounds of your suffering then all will be well. And heaven will begin for you even as you suffer and will come to its fruition upon your death. A parable comes to mind, one that is so striking, the story of the beggar, Lazarus. 
who is taken to heaven by Father Abraham and of the rich man who ignored him. Jesus said that to be wealthy is dangerous. It's a very dangerous condition to think you're self-sufficient, to think that uh, you're independent. Most independence and most self-sufficiency is born of fear. So we protect ourselves with our power, our wealth, our knowledge. We build walls and we stay alone. The danger of being rich is that you're alone. It's aloneness that's dangerous. The poor, those who know that they depend upon God for everything, are saved because they know that the very identity of the human is to be a relationship with God. It is not good for man to be alone, says Genesis. And so Dives is in trouble, not because God is mad at him or God is punishing him, but because he chose to define himself by himself. And he mistook his gifts as natural to him. And he never was in the school of gratitude. And therefore he was never open up to worship and adoration. And he became closed and dependent upon himself. And Lazarus was continually crying out in his pain and his poverty. And this, of course, always summons the Spirit. And the Spirit then raises the poor. And of course, not just here, we're talking about economics. We're talking about anybody who knows the truth about the human condition is poor. It is not good for man to be alone. Anybody who can say that sentence and live it is poor. And they are begging the Spirit to come and live within them. And of course, the Spirit is dying to enter them and to bring them to heaven. And so there is a sense here that our suffering will end or our suffering will be filled with the coping power of the Spirit the more we surrender and abandon ourselves to the relationship we have with God. And of course, Christ was modeling this upon the cross when he surrendered to the Father and held nothing back and held nothing of his own and poured out everything for God. And then God filled him and raised him. And that's our lot too. All of us who are baptized, that's our lot as well. We will be filled and we will be raised. But first we must be emptied. We'll return in just a moment to The Heart of Hope, Suffering and the Cross of Christ with Deacon James Keating. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. 
Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. Litany of Humility O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I. That others may be esteemed more than I. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. That others may be chosen and I set aside. That others may be praised and I unnoticed. That others may be preferred to me in everything that others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to The Heart of Hope, Suffering and the Cross of Christ with Deacon James Keating. The beggar Lazarus, isolated, alone, unable to move from his spot, crippled by his suffering, whether it was the economic poverty in which he found himself or even in the physical poverty, the inability to be able to do anything, completely dependent, and yet in the end shown the great reward. Is that the light at the end of the tunnel, that eternity? The light at the end of the tunnel, of course, is heaven, but... Heaven is refracted in this life 
in our ability to receive grace in the midst of our suffering, in our ability to receive intimacy with Him, with God, in the midst, heaven is tasted here already, even in very difficult circumstances, if we strive to maintain the union that we have with Christ. That's why wise people rush to Holy Communion very often, not out of fear, but out of desire. They desire deeply to taste heaven here on earth, whether they are physically well, emotionally well, wherever their pain is, they are desiring to retain a communion that Christ promised to begin here on earth, a communion that is actually heaven visiting earth and opening up to its fullness. So whoever is suffering now, the light at the end of the tunnel is already in you. It's already glowing by virtue of your dependency and your abandonment and surrender to the love of God as it reaches you through Jesus in your suffering. Heaven is already beginning. That's the great joy, isn't it? That we can experience that and we have such fonts of that grace, that encounter with heaven in reconciliation, in the reception of the Eucharist. It's those portals, isn't it, to be able to experience that that presence. And the sacrament of the sick. Mm -hmm. And in our memories, the reappropriation of our confirmation, the calling down of the Spirit from baptism. If you're married from the sacrament of your, of your wedding day, which you have become, you did not experience, you've become grace. All of these generous weak points of creation where we can actually call out to God and receive anew His love. One of the greatest aspects of Catholicism in sickness and in health. In sickness and in health, I will be faithful to you. That's not just your husband or wife speaking. That is God speaking to you in sickness and in health, in poverty, in good times and in bad times. That's the nuptial heart of God. And he wants you to know that he's not going anywhere. He's not a bad spouse. He's not abandoning you when times get rough. He is laying down next to you in your sick bed, and he's not going anywhere. For he is not only the good shepherd, he is the good spouse. And he's loving you in your sickness through the sacramental life. So call out for the priest and call out for the sacraments and know the fidelity of God who will never leave you. There's a tremendous gift to those who minister to those who suffer. And when I mean by minister, I don't necessarily mean the formalized pastoral care that is given by the church, but also just from the heart of each Christian, reaching out to those who are in need. In that relationship, there's grace poured out to both, isn't there? A person who is compassionate toward the suffering and the sick 
when he or she visits the suffering of the sick. Again, one of the corporal works of mercy to visit the sick, to visit the suffering. They, too, receive the mystery that they are bringing to the suffering. They receive the very same mystery that they are giving. Of course, they must be awakened to the fact that this is happening through their own prayer life or spiritual direction. or They must in some way be educated that they are not just givers, those who care for the sick, care for the suffering. They are receivers at the deepest of levels. For the very gift that they bear is given back to them by grace. And so they should reflect very deeply on how they experience the love of God for themselves, toward themselves, in the very act of giving comfort to the sick and the suffering. So it is not a one-way street of just giving, giving, giving. Jesus is always giving to those who give. He's always giving to those who give. Ultimately, it comes down to believing in the ultimate goal, dare I say it, or the end game in modern terms. What is this all about? If we think it's just about this moment in this presence on earth, we'll miss what God has waiting for us for all eternity. We've become so cynical that so many of us really don't have an appreciation of what eternity will be. It's good to always meditate on heaven as much as possible. To meditate on heaven is to bring heaven into you. And it's not an illusion. It's not a fantasy. It's, an, it's the use of your imagination connected to the mysteries of Christ, which is the ultimate of reality. So to imagine heaven is not a waste of time. To imagine heaven and all these images related to Jesus' love for you will unlock new images of heaven for you and will deepen your desire for heaven. One of the things in our Western culture that has happened is we've lost the desire for heaven. And so we continually are trying fruitlessly to make this earth perfect, perfect politically, perfect economically, perfect socially. In vain we work because it's impossible. Any desires for perfection that you have are simply implanted in you to be ordered toward eternity. And this has nothing to do with any type of uh, uh, behavior that the, the church used to be accused of, like when uh, we are meditating on heaven, we're forgetting the poor or something like that. Ridiculous. The more you meditate on heaven, the more you are receiving the great grace of God which breaks your heart in gratitude for God, which then sends you to the poor, to those who do not know this gift, to those who do not know this truth of God wanting to share his happiness with us. Anyone who meditates on heaven and forgets the poor, they have not reached heaven. They are only comforting themselves with artificial consolation, 
born of their ego. But those who truly meditate on heaven and truly have their desires deepened for God will find the poor. In fact, the poor will find them because they will be astonishingly attractive people. And the poor will go to those who meditate upon heaven and they will want to know the source of this man, of this woman's radiance. And in the presence of the poor, the one who meditates upon heaven will be nothing other than generous. So it's ludicrous to think that thinking about the light at the end of the tunnel is somehow selfish, self-centered, or a waste of time. It is, in fact, what enables one to suffer the very presence of the poor. For without the hope of heaven, one cannot stand the presence of such suffering. And himself or herself will be led to despair. But when heaven is carried in the heart, all manner of evil can be suffered, with the end being the healing of that evil. Because you are feeding your mind and your heart off of the mystery of God's eternal love for you. And of course, this is the true pastoral ministry of the church toward those who suffer. It's embracing the cross, ultimately, isn't it? Whatever suffering that comes into your life, and there will be suffering for every human person, it's embracing that cross, isn't it? And remember that when you embrace the cross, there's a person on it. And of course, that is the great wisdom of the phrase to embrace the cross. You're not embracing a piece of wood, empty, bare, and barren. You are embracing the one who hangs there. And he will lift you up, even in your suffering. He will do it. When we talk about the light at the end of the tunnel and embracing the cross and being lifted with him, and I, should I be lifted, will draw all men towards me. Ultimately, we have to remember the resurrection. It will ultimately be an Easter for each one of us. There will be no more tears. Every tear will be wiped away. As long as we embrace him on the cross, we are heading in the direction of the end of sorrow, and we are tasting the beginning of gladness in the embrace. And how do you embrace the cross practically? It's the Mass. The Eucharist is the cross. You don't have to go to Calvary. You don't have to embrace a physical cross that you have made by hand. The whole reality of the mystery of Jesus' love for us upon the cross, you embrace when you receive, this is my body, this is my blood, given for you. The more you receive that mystery, the more you embrace the cross. And when human suffering comes and befalls you, you will know that you are embracing a person in your own suffering, the person of God, who will see you through this suffering to your own resurrection, to your own joy with him. Thank you, Deacon Keating. Thank you.
You've been listening to The Heart of Hope with Deacon James Keating. To hear and or to download this episode along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we ask that you tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for The Heart of Hope with Deacon James Keating.